Hello and welcome to episode 336 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carasino. And we're coming to you again in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 and 5 and 3 champion, Seattle Seahawks. That's right, the Seahawks are champions of being 5 and 3. They are certainly throwing a parade for it, so. But look, it's... Things are fun. There's a Josh Cashman video. Like, how how can you not be on board at this point? That's a question for you. Pete Carroll, I, I know Pete you're asking, going that, for you're asking that rhetorically, but literally the question is, how can you oh, not no. be on board at this point? Uh, We've even I'm, won over Ben. Like, <laughs> when Ben posted... The what, Giants the Giants fans won over Ben. That was it. I'm just like... It's so funny to me when people think record is like a, a deter- determining factor in quality of team. Oh, but I don't know if you're aware. Bill Parcells said, you are what your record says you are. <laughs> Did he say that? Is that an old school quote from Bill Parcells? It is a famous quote attributed to Bill Parcells. And I, I, I understand the concept he's going for there, that in sports, it's less like politics where you can just argue that you're winning no matter what. Like, there is a winner and a loser of each game, but it's not necessarily over a small sample determinative of underlying team quality and future performance. Well, it, that, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, I mean, I argue that we think too much about the future when talking about team sports. Like, we're trying to outthink the GMs and everybody, right? As fans, we talked about this a bunch. But also, like, there's a whole system built to predict what is going to happen in football games for the following weekend. Well, that system did not for a long time, and still not very much, believe in your Seattle Seahawks. And let me tell you, Vegas is taking a bath on those Seahawks. It is coming around. I'm not taking a victory lap until I get that one more win. I need to hit the over on my season window. Brutal year for the city of Las Vegas, both on their own football team and the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, now. All right, let's get into it, starting with our beer this week. And look... It might be November as you're listening to this. It's still Halloween as we're recording to this. So happy Halloween. Uh, in case anyone listens to this in the first maybe minus 15 minutes after it's posted. But uh, I, I thought you were I'm, just telling me happy Halloween in the same well, way yeah. that we're asking rhetorical questions, but directing them personally. <laughs> exactly. From our friends at Holy Mountain Brewing, the Talus Fresh Hop IPA, their third fresh hop beer of the season. This freshie was built with brewed with build with brewed with pilsner malt golden promise malted oats and a bit of chit 100 hopped with talus supplied from our friends at carpenter ranches the aroma and flavor of this beer transitions from fresh pine to grapefruit pith unique wow. extremely aromatic refreshing and super drinkable oh there's good pith in there <laughs> this podcast has never been accused of pith When uh, they say talus, what is the I isn't a talus like a big big mass of rocks? I thought it was a bone. Okay, it is a bone too. It is a bone fragment. Is that in there? What is in this thing? No, neither, so apparently neither I, of those things are things you should be drinking. According to the 30 seconds of research that I did yes. to try to find out the pronunciation of this hop, which because it was the first time that I had ever heard it's of it. It's a hop. The talus is a hop. Talus is a hop, yes. Okay. And apparently it was invented 
like just invented by Yakima Valley hops. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. What haven't the people of Yakima Valley done? Am I Yakima right? Chief, I guess, is actually the hop growers that invented this. Let me let me be clear on this. Okay. Yakima Chief needs to be branding itself is in the fresh hop region of Washington. And the fresh hop region of the you, the world. Not Again, the United we, States. The world. We've been clear. Fresh hop region of Washington is still inappropriate terminology. We've gone over this. <laughs> But let's now let's go over our toasts, starting with one, two, Peter, Clay, Carroll, for tying Hello. his mentor, Bud Grant, under whom he coached with Minnesota Vikings for 18th in combined regular season and playoff NFL wins with 168. Next up on the list in 17th, Joe Gibbs with 171. Wow. Peter was like, for somebody who famously did not coach in the NFL for a long period of time. Is going to end his career with a remarkable number of NFL wins. You had nothing to say to that? More on him later. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there will be. <laughs> Seattle Mariners coach, but Pete Carroll, with that honor. Uh, next up, a toast to UW men's soccer defender Gio Miglietti, named Pac-12 Player of the Week after scoring Hello. twice for the Huskies last weekend as they stayed unbeaten in the Bay Area. More on that later. There Remarkably, we go. Miglietti. His name should be pronounced Miliari, my Pagliacci spirit. Uh, the fourth different UW player to earn Pac-12 Player of the Week honors this season, joining Lucas Milk, Lucas Meek, I should say, Elijah Paul twice, and Christian Soto. Wow. Gio Magletti is an Italian playing so well at soccer, you would think they would almost kick him out of the World Cup. Not kicked out. Not kicked out. Just not qualified. Banned. Banned. He is playing so well, you think that they would blackball him from the World Cup. I just, I, we love to see it. Love oh to boy, see it. That is, that is a very oh, you a could strong aroma with the you, hops. You could taste the talus. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly this week, two 19-year-old Edmonds native, Sota Kitahara, who was signed as a homegrown player by the Sounders after coming through their academy and playing for Tacoma Defiance, the latest uh, product of the Sounders youth setup. All right. Or a quick note before we get into sports. A big week is coming. A big month is coming as we start. Oh, hello. As, as you listen to this pod in November, it is Little Woody's Fast Food Month, which starts Tuesday with the Woody's Baconator. It's going to be the same four fast food-inspired burgers as last year with the sourdough Woody and curly fries, the Little Big Mac, and the Little Crunchwrap Supreme. No word yet on any cease and desist letters. Okay, so let me just say, obviously this is an exciting time, right? Lil Woody's Fast Food Month. We look forward to it every single year, right? Without question. But I do have to say, I know that these are old standards. They're old favorites. I appreciate that. I think it would be interesting for Lil Woody's, all love to Lil Woody's, to explore the studio space here a little bit. They've settled I, in. There was more experimentation in the past. I, I would like to see... Maybe you have a big three. I, I personally don't know what the is it the burgers that are the most successful ones? Maybe the crunch wrap does extraordinarily well, right? I would but love to know the numbers on this. I I feel like it just choose three. Maybe if it's a rotating three that you do every year. And, and give then us one a new one every year. Give us a fourth. Because like the thing is, that fourth one might be so special it becomes a standard, right? They tried it out. They did the taco time. They did Chris Chicken Burritos and Mexi Fries, right? All of these were new at one point. 
Wow, that's a really good point. <laughs> I mean, they're also talking about some of the biggest burgers like in fast food or whatever. Yes, but, they're hitting the staples. But to me, just I, I don't even know. I don't even have an example of what I'm looking for. I just want something a little bit newer, right? Even if it's like the quarter pounder with cheese vis-a-vis the Big Mac, I don't care. I just want something. I'm intrigued. I'm listening. intrigued by that. I'm listening. There, there, are, there are other burgers out there. That's it. And also, they're clearly willing to not just do burgers. So if they were to do a Popeye-style chicken sandwich, right, I would eat that, wouldn't you? I feel like – but the Popeye's chicken sandwich isn't differentiated enough, is it? What you mean to say is yes. <laughs> I'm just saying like, – There's a lot what? of words to say, yes, oh. I would eat that. I mean, Would I, you I, not? I would, I, of course I would eat it, yeah. Has Little Woody's done a southern-style chicken sandwich? I mean, they have a chicken sandwich on the menu. I still have never eaten it. We never got to it in our search for Seattle's best chicken sandwich. I'm sure it's good. I'm, just, I'm going there for burgers. When Club Burger, you may famously remember Aramis telling us on his episode of Talkin' Taco Time that he does not eat ground beef. So oh, I Club didn't will, know that. Well, Eden Club will not be having a burger. It'll be a chicken sandwich. So you'll probably be eating a chicken sandwich from there. Nice. Did not. I mean, I've had... I've I've also had like when they've done specials with chicken, like during Seattle uh, Burger Month, oftentimes there are chicken related burgers. Okay, here's 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 something for you. Wow, maybe I don't know if I don't know if this would be possible. It's not quite fast food, not quite national chain. Seattle style teriyaki chicken burger. I'm listening. I'm intrigued. I'm just saying there's there's options out there. They could brand it as like a, a, a little Toshi's or something like that. Wow. Now you're speaking my language. Am I wrong here? That's it. All right. Yeah. But all, all the same, very excited for Fast Movie Month. Uh, I'm going to be over in your neck of the woods, so I might even stop by there tomorrow. That, that was my plan to get it tomorrow. So Okay. All right. We're yeah, we'll figure it out. Here. Yeah. We, we're also <laughs> going to be in Capitol Hill, so... Yes. We could get it there as well. One way or another, we'll figure it out. The first one is the Baconator? Yep. I will eat that. (laughs) You're damn right you will. All right, let's get into our roundup early here. Let's not get into our roundup early because I have something else for you. Do you? As you mentioned. Oh, you're right. Oh, wait, do you? Well, we didn't didn't talk about the Blazers. Oh. (laughs) Uh, I had something else before we got into sports at all. As you mentioned, as we're recording this, today is Halloween. That's correct. And because it was Halloween, I was I was in the, the candy spirit, right? So I went I, to the grocery store. I purchased store. some candy on Halloween, which I what could not find, find. I could not find any Skittles, like, fun size packs, which I was... You should, you should have just gone trick-or-treating. You would have found hundreds. I should have just gone to your house. I know that they're, all, they're yes. all there, because, but that's why I wanted to get them from allergen standpoint. Why did you want them? I don't get it. Just in case that there are people who have allergies oh. to chocolate. So like I the what I went with was Twix and plain M&Ms. So you are, you got those for trick or treaters coming to your house. I thought correct. you were saying for yourself to consume. No. And I was like I'm sure you could find some Skittles. <laughs> yeah, I mean I could have just purchased the like family bag of Skittles if that was my need. But that okay. was these were for trick or treaters. Although, you know, there has to be some consideration to the fact that, like, there ended up being three groups of trick-or-treaters, I think, that came. Like, I had no idea. You're going to be eating a lot of leftover candy that the trick-or-treaters don't Not going to be. Already have been. Wow. Hello. Uh, 
but I had no idea because this was my first last year was my first year in this house and I was over at your house during Halloween. So this is my first October 31st here at home. You you had a few trick-or-treaters though. Like a handful. And they also like I told the first the first group came and knocked on the door. I later I put it on the uh the thing of candy on the porch. And like I told them, like you can take one of each if you want. And now they just they just strictly took one Twix and that was wow. one, one very bag of M&Ms. polite over there on the coast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. What what do you have here? So I I went and got a candy, th- three of them earlier today. Because I was like, it's Halloween. I, I'm just, I have the hankering for this. I need to eat this, which is the best candy in the entire world, which is, of course, a Reese's peanut butter cup. Now, later in the day, my children. About... Wait, are we going to talk about the maze tweet? Let's come back to that. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what the maze tweet is. Later oh, in the okay. day, my children go out trick or treating. My children, very allergic to nuts. Uh, a little bit of background. I personally thought I was allergic to nuts until I was like 32 years old or whatever. Had never had a Reese's peanut butter cup until my mid 30s, right? When I got tested because of a conversation for nuts, a conversation we had on the Pelton cast, because Full Tilt Ice Cream had a Rainier beer and peanuts ice cream. Oh, man. You had it at Bumbershoot, like 2000 nope. and something. Seafair. It was coming home. It was from at Seafair. Seafair. Was it? I swear you got it. Maybe I tried to get it at Bumbershoot. There was a Full Tilt truck there. You had it at Seafair. What year? 2013, you said? I, I mean, I'd have to look and go in the archives to I, find I, that one. In. I think it's earlier. I think it's earlier than that. I think it's like 12 or so. Uh, no, no. We were recording the Pelton cast in 2012. So definitely no, it not been, that. After, it would have been like 15, something like that. Somewhere around yes. there. Yes. Uh, anyway, I went and got tested, not allergic to nuts. And the first thing I did after finding out that I wasn't allergic to nuts was I got a, a pack of Reese's peanut butter cups, the full bag, right, of all the fun size ones. And I ate the entire bag because I was like, I've been waiting my entire goddamn life to eat these things. I'm going to eat as many as I can from this point forward. I've slowed down quite a bit in my consumption of Reese's peanut butter cups, but I have very strong feelings about them. And later in the day, uh, my children go out trick-or-treating. They come back, and they have some peanut butter candy or whatever. So I ate a bag of peanut M&Ms. And the entire time I was eating them, I consumed the entire thing ravenously. But the entire time I was eating them, I was thinking to myself, why are these not Reese's peanut butter cups? Every single bite that I had which led me to a I mean, definitive are... ranking of types of Reese's peanut butter cups. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I thought this was going to be of Halloween candies because I think we've done that on the pod as well no. many, many years ago in the past. I mean, I, the, the, the M&M's with peanuts as opposed to peanut butter totally have a right to exist because they give you a crunch that you're not getting from peanut butter. There's a satisfying crunch to an M&M with peanuts. They're fine. So peanut I will put M&Ms. them... I put. Peanut... Peanut M and M's above head of peanut butter. Peanut butter, because oh also if you're gonna eat peanut butter M and M's, you should just eat Reese's pieces. Reese's pieces are not as prevalent though. Yeah. There's there was not a single house giving away Reese's penis. <laughs> penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Definitely moving that one in. There was not a single house giving out Reese's Pieces. You never see that, right? Like, you cannot even picture a bag of a bunch of fun-sized Reese's Pieces, right? <laughs> Reese's Penis. <laughs> um, 
Another candy that I noticed you never see anymore, Butterfinger is gone from the market. Good riddance. Wow. Good Not riddance. a fan. It is kind of funny which candies, because there, there is like, people have kind of honed in on like three or four different types of candies. There's not the variance that I feel like you used to get of candy. And that was my favorite thing about trick-or-treating is just like all the weird shit you would get, right? You'd be like somebody who's just giving out something totally wild. I love yeah. that. Nerds. I feel like we got a lot of nerds growing up. There's not a single nerd. Like the, so many Snickers, right? It was Snickers. It was plain M&Ms. It was peanut M&Ms. I feel like that was kind of it. Skittles, Starburst. Anyway, Apparently everyone you, bought the Skittles. <laughs> You're eating candy right now <laughs> while we're talking about this. But but I think it's important because we're in an important season for this to rank the definitive best list of types of Reese's peanut butter cups. Because I mean, you've got to call it types of Reese's ranked type of uh, sure types of Reese's ranked. But original Reese's peanut butter cups, while great, definitely do not rank on the list of top five Reese's peanut butter cups. Because what you want from the best Reese's peanut butter cups is the highest peanut butter to chocolate ratio. And the best way to receive the chocolate is not in the weirdly sharp edges that are cut out of the cup, right? You want a soft edge. I feel like there's something satisfying about the sharp edges. I disagree with you on that particular point. There's too much chocolate in the The chocolate point is well received. You, You want more peanut butter than chocolate it should be at least a two to one ratio right the circumference matters and the width matters on this point which is why we're treading dangerously close to pelton cast math here (laughs) i'm start. i did one one to five number one reese's peanut butter cup is obviously the reese's big cup plain reese's big cups two to one ratio peanut butter to chocolate all except the sharp edges in this one particular scenario just because of how much peanut butter you're getting in that the big cup is perfect it does not need any other variation on it it is amazing unto itself exactly as it is i wish that the big cup was all reese's peanut butter cups because they probably would have never done any other variation beyond it I mean, I don't know if you know anything about candy in the year of our Lord 2022. Oh I think God. they would have done some other variations, but I, your point I is I scrolled taken. through like 15 pages of different types of <laughs> Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. <sighs> this is the reason we're in an important season for it. Because, as you know, the day that Halloween ends, Christmas season begins. Atrocious. And at the intersection of those two holidays are the second and third best Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Immediately, once you're done eating the second best Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, the Reese's Pumpkins, it becomes Reese's Christmas Tree Season. And those are two of the best variations. Both the softness of the edges around them, right? Exactly as I want to eat them. But the amount of peanut in the amount of peanut butter in the shape of the pumpkin the christmas tree is third cuz it's a little bit smaller you do like biting off the top everybody likes that but the shape of the pumpkin is perfect for eating a reese's peanut butter cup slightly larger than an egg and i think there's something about it being wider rather than uh, uh, an oval shape an egg shape that makes it even better so that's 2 and 3 and number 4 I'm not a big Reese's Pieces person, to be honest. Because, again, I just want I want the peanut butter, the strange flowery peanut butter mixture that they have, right? It's incredible. It's perfect. It's strangely perfect, yes. Yes. Just give me that. 
But at number four, I have the big cup filled with Reese's Pieces. Okay. I'll take I'll take a little crunch. I'll allow it. That I think they've tried to do too much with the big cup. But with the Reese's Pieces, I'm okay with that. Similar to what you're talking about, with the peanut, there is a little bit of crunch while you're biting into it. For me, I want unadulterated. Unadulterated? No one knows the difference. <laughs> I want... Scholars are divided on the issue. Unadulterated... Uh, 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 Reese's peanut butter, but I will accept a slight crunch of Reese's pieces in it. Okay. Now, before I get into number five, some considerations. Honorable mentions. The, these are not even. It's just things that I considered. Not even necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily mention these. The Cadbury-shaped peanut butter-filled eggs that they have around Easter, just weirdly a strange shape. Even though you get a lot of peanut butter all together at once, right? There's a good ratio of peanut butter. For some reason, eating it in a circle shape, maybe it's because the chocolate gets a little bit harder around it. It's a little bit too much of a crunch of the chocolate. Somehow, strangely, significantly worse than anything else. Regular Reese's, of course, are great. They're offshoot the Franken Cup. I'm not sure if there's any flavor difference, but it's green. It reminds you it's Halloween, so that's great. I've never had these two, so I can't quite weigh in on them. Uh, but I found these from my research. I'm intrigued by big cups with potato chips. And then also, it seems like maybe for this holiday season, they have peanut brittle big cups, which I'm also intrigued by. But I think those, it's a peanut, br- it's a peanut brittle uh, uh, chocolate shell, right? Sort of like a caramel uh. thing. And then I think there's full peanuts in the peanut butter, which would definitely make the peanut butter significantly worse. Okay. Of course, the other holiday items, bats, thin eggs, ghosts fine but the shape is not quite right the pumpkin is the perfect peanut butter reese's peanut butter shape but somehow against my better judgment with all of these things number five reese's peanut butter cup item is the christmas holiday bells okay totally totally different shape than anything else not necessarily the perfect ratio the little reese's peanut butter cups the mini ones not a huge fan of those again because the sharp edge something about the bells it's got those soft edges and you can just straight up snack like 50 of them at once (laughs) so you were on the same page as friend of the pod robert mays who tweeted earlier this evening let me go find this tweet again have to scroll down past some Bengals Brown stuff, which uh, we're oh, not going to want to. We're not going to want to talk about or go into at all. Uh, he said that Reese's Nutrageous is easily the most slept-on candy bar. That he'd put up, he'd put them up against anything. I believe few things in life more strongly than this. But as a follow-up to that tweet, when he was pressed on it, as a society, we have progressed beyond the need for Reese's cups. Every holiday Reese's shape is superior to the cup in chocolate to peanut butter ratio. Pumpkins, trees, eggs. We have moved into a new elevated age. I, wow. Couldn't have put it any better. It's almost poetic. New elevated age. I don't know about this nutrageous though. Ah, It just looks a little bit too crunchy. It's like a, a Reese's peanut butter cup kind of mixed with like a Snickers almost. Or nutrageous. That's a candy of its own, right? Maybe. I gotta say my candy knowledge is not what it used to be. Wow. I totally so. agree though. Like I, and it's funny because you don't see the bags, the 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 multi-pack bags that you see. You almost never see those. You do see them of pumpkins. But like big cups, they don't come in those types of eggs for some reason. And it's like 
I don't really understand why we can all acknowledge that the regular Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is brilliant, but inferior to almost every other type of Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Well, tradition does uh, is hard to overcome sometimes. Anything else on candy or Halloween? <laughs> I would gladly talk about your Portland Trailblazers. I mean, there's actually not that much of an update because they have not played a game in between these podcasts that we've done. Or no, they, they did on Friday night. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I forgot that. Yeah, no, they won. They're still, still without... undefeated as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, since you're not counting that, that loss uh, against Miami. Uh, with Damian Lillard out of the lineup, Shadon Sharp getting the start. Very impressive in this one. Uh, multiple highlight reel dunks. Anthony Simons was great. A very impressive win against the lowly Houston Rockets for the Blazers. Then they took the weekend off. And uh, it does not appear, sadly, that when I'm down in Portland you made on Wednesday. It, sound like it was like their choice to take the weekend, <laughs> yeah. then they took the weekend off. Oh, our work here is done. We beat the Rockets. Uh, it does not appear like Damian Lillard would be back when I'm down in Portland on Wednesday to see John Morant in the Memphis Grizzlies as uh, the Blazers' subsequent update. We we gave his post-game comments after first suffering the calf strain that uh, took him out of that game against Miami. And he said he hoped to be back after missing just one game, but the Blazers said he'll be reevaluated in one to two weeks. So that timeline would presumably take him one week is is the day that they play Memphis. So presumably he's not going to return for that game. At least the blazer dancers were at the Seahawks game on Sunday, dancing with the seagulls and uh, some, some Jody Allen synergy. I was just thinking about how great it must be to be Jody right now. It's... Right. I have not heard anybody tap, 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 tap. John Canzano ain't walking through those doors talking about how the team's for sale or whatever. I mean, I no. think the, team is, the team is still for sale. That's a, that's a separate issue. though. The team is for sale. Uh, yeah. And now all of a sudden, Jody Allen getting credit for Seahawks management, making amazingly good decisions in the past year after several years of not making good decisions from a process standpoint. It's kind of incredible. Like the Blazers are maybe the most surprised team in the NBA so far this season. No, they're not who's, even top three. Who's top three? Utah and San Antonio are certainly one and two. Maybe, maybe they're three. Are they actually playing well? Utah's Utah's six and two, man. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like the Blazers are outperforming, and it's probably more meaningful, like in terms of them having a chance to actually be a top six team. I still think that's more likely than Utah or San Antonio. Uh, I think San Antonio is five and two, uh, but those teams were supposed to be at the very bottom. San Antonio had the single lowest over under total of anyone in the NBA, and I thought that was ridiculous. But I didn't think they'd be. Lower as good as they've played thus far. Wow. It's like DeJounte Wilson and Donovan Wilson. <laughs> Some, something like that. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been amazing in Cleveland. Cleveland might be the third most surprising team since they have played at the highest level in the league thus far with Darius Garland injured in their opening game. I so. still don't think people thought Cleveland was good. Yes, but again, Darius Garland was a huge part of that and he's been out. So. They're the best team in the league right now? In terms of schedule-adjusted ratings, so far they have been. Wow. Who, who after how many weeks has it been? Two weeks? It'll be two weeks as of Tuesday, yeah. Two godforsaken weeks of October basketball. So after two... <laughs> now is the night you can acknowledge the season starting? Uh, no. Sorry. Oh, still not until after the NFL season ends. That's right. The, the Christmas season may start tomorrow, but 
basketball season doesn't start until Christmas Day. The unofficial end of the Christmas season. Uh, so yeah, uh, soon, I think we're going to be extending the Christmas season beyond Christmas. I mean, it kind of does. Most people think of extending to New Year's, but yes. After two weeks, who who would you pick to come out of the Western Conference and Eastern Conference? I would probably pick Phoenix to come out of the West. And I would I would pick Milwaukee in the East, which was my original pick, but it's much harder in the East because I think Milwaukee and Boston are the two best teams in the league. So your answer is kind of unchanged. No, I picked the Clippers to start the season, and the Clippers do not look good. I mean, Kawhi is barely played, but the Clippers, Clippers have some issues. So that, that certainly changed. Why have the Clippers not been as good as you thought they would be? I haven't really dug into it, but guess what? I will be doing so later today on, on presumably be doing so later today on the Low Fest. There we go. So check that out. The preemptive plug for a podcast I have not yet recorded. Wow. <laughs> All right, should we get into the roundup? Exactly, I feel like Zach Lowe would have the craziest candy rankings. <laughs> should I bring it up? <laughs> I think I think maybe you should. I don't know. They're either going to be like absurdly plain, right? Well, it'll be like M&Ms. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, or they'll be like that. very obscure. Mine are not that absurd. I mean, my, my top two are Twix and Snickers. Like I, I, I'm pretty, pretty down the middle on that one. Plain M&Ms are just, I think that is the most bland food that you, uh, Hershey's chocolate well, bar. Guess what I was eating earlier. Plain M&Ms. <laughs> Not not Can my we... number one choice. Jesus Christ. But I wanted to avoid allergens to some degree. All right, let's start with the Kraken. On Thursday, they were on the wrong end of Vancouver's first win this season, losing 5-4 after scoring in the final minute to match an empty net goal by the Canucks, who have still never lost to their I-5 rivals as yet in the uh, year plus of the Kraken's existence. But uh, a better result Saturday as the Kraken closed out their homestand with a 3-1 win over Pittsburgh, getting an empty netter late to close out a hard-fought win. They're out for a three-game road trip this week to Calgary, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh before returning home to host Nashville on election night. We skip ahead a bit. Uh, the roundup is much shorter than it used to be. To get up men's soccer which is referenced earlier, 2-1 Thursday at Cal, getting another late goal, this time with Elijah Paul scoring in the 90th minute to untie a match that had been tied since the 35th minute. They then drew 3-3 Sunday at number 5 Stanford in a match that saw both teams lead by a goal, including the Huskies 3-2 when the aforementioned Gio Miglietti netted his second of the night in the 70th minute, only to see Keegan Hughes provide the equalizer for Stanford in the 79th minute. Sunday was the Huskies' final road match of the Pac-12 schedule to be home this weekend to host UCLA on Thursday and San Diego State on Sunday, celebrating Senior Day in the latter matchup. Wow, we're already that close to the end of the men's soccer season? Uh, yeah, we started pretty late. As uh, far as I know, it started last up. week. <laughs> I learned of Gio Miglietti today, 10 okay, minutes this, ago, or whatever, is... but I would take a bullet for him. <laughs> this was their 16th unbeaten match of the season on Sunday, the longest such unbeaten start in program history to a season. Lifelong Gio Miglietti fan. Come on. Where's he from, by the way? Do you know? Uh, I did not look that up, but uh, let me see if it says that in the press release here. <laughs> Oof. 
No, not in the press release. Gonna have to click on his bio and keep it, keep going on this Hawthorne, California. Hawthorne, all right, we'll accept it. If you would have been from South Seattle, it would have been even more exciting. But that's okay. <laughs> yes, that would have been preferable. I don't know. I mean, I guess we did Darwin Jones from uh, Mount Rainier was at yeah. UW. So we've got some, and and obviously Federal Way with uh, yeah. uh, DeAndre Yedlin. So there's certainly some talent here. Huskies already comfortably. In, in good position in terms of the Pac-12 race. They're 5-0-2 oh, in conference. Stanford is 3-2-4. and four. Uh, Oregon State 2-1-4. UCLA 3-3-1. Three, three, and, and Cal and San Diego State with just one win apiece in conference play. And UW is still number one ranked in the country. The, the updated rankings had, were not out that I saw. I believe those come out on Tuesdays. But it, Still, do, you would not anticipate that drawing on the road against the number five team in the country. Yeah, three get you out draw at Stanford is is a fine even though, outcome. Even though Stanford did lose at home to Oregon State earlier in the weekend. Pathetic. So they will be dropping, presumably, from number five. All right, you know, women's basketball played their exhibition game Monday. I don't know that we learned a lot when you look at the final score of this one. They beat Warner Pacific 115 to 24. <laughs> so that is that is sure a real score. Warner I'm, Pacific. I'm not sure what level of basketball Warner of athletics Warner Pacific plays. Can you tell me where Warner Pacific University is? Oh no, I so, I, I, I would guess okay Portland. Apparently Warner Portland Pacific is in Portland. I don't know where in Portland because I've never heard of they <laughs> they play at the NAI level. So we'll see if Utah men's basketball gets a tougher test Tuesday night in their opener, which comes against Alaska Fairbanks. I feel like we've brought up this Alaska Fairbanks game for so many weeks. It's the third consecutive week, yes, because right, we talked about it. it. Hurry when, up and just fucking play this game against Alaska Fairbanks. When Ken Bob said, so they are in the NCAA, they're Division Two, so should be a slightly tougher level of competition. They should not win by 90 points. Oh, I think I've maybe looked up Warner Pacific at some point. Yeah. Uh, near Mount Tabor, that that area of Portland. Okay. Uh, word from you know, men's <laughs> basketball practices is freshman point guard Keon Manifield Jr. has impressed uh, in practices as well as the closed-door scrimmage they had against Utah State. Manifield was one of the top players in the 2021 Nike EYBL, averaging a competition-high 22.6 points per game in the first week of Peach Jam play, but wasn't a major recruit, not even the highest-rated UW recruit at guard this year because Corin Johnson, the uh, Seattle prospect, was rated higher than him. But sounds like, um, and we'll obviously know more about what Mike Hopkins' rotation might look like after this exhibition, but sounds like he could be in for a bigger role than Corin Johnson. All right. What, what is the current UW backcourt? So the presumption is that they will start Noah Williams at point guard with oh, PJ yes. Fuller at the two. Okay. But maybe Menafield breaks his way into that. I, uh, you know, with Fuller coming off the bench as he did last season. And then you've got Jamal Bay at small forward, Keon Brooks Jr., the Kentucky transfer at power forward, and Francis Kepnong, the uh, Oregon transfer at center. This sounds like a team. I don't know. Uh, Ken Palm and the Pac-12 media voters as yet unimpressed. That's all right. We defy expectations in the, I was going to say Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, right? Because <laughs> we're throwing Portland into this as well. 
Yes. Oh, it's strictly Portland in terms of ba- professional basketball. It's always unclear whether Portland counts. No, we did not trust to Portland Thorns lifting the NWSL trophy with their win last Saturday night. Ugh, hate to see it. I mean, certainly happy for the Portland Thorn play- Thorns players. A difficult year plus for them, but... Uh, uh, disappointed. Uh, I, I have a good friend with the Kansas City Current, so I definitely was hoping for them to get the win in that one after they beat, knocked out the rain. We didn't mention last week, by the way, that Kansas City, so the rain three times have won the NWSL Shield, is the best team in the regular season. Every single time that's happened, they lose in the playoffs to Kansas City. <laughs> a remarkable run for Kansas City against OL Rain in the playoffs. All right, that brings us to UW football coming off of bye and facing suddenly ranked in the AP poll. Oregon State go. ranked for the first time. Oregon since... State's ranked? Yeah, no, they're not ranked. They're what? facing ranked Oregon State. Who's number 24 in the AP poll. They're the top team receiving votes in the coaches poll. Huskies uh, effectively number 31 in the AP poll and number 29 in the coaches poll receiving votes in both of those it's the first time that oregon state has been ranked since 2013 both these teams six and two both coming off their bye weeks and the fact that those six wins mean bowl eligibility is not taken lightly at oregon state where last year's la bowl loss was their first postseason play since 2013 our old friend jonathan smith has patiently rebuilt the beavers since inherited a team that won just six games in the previous three seasons before his arrival their two losses this season have both come to rank teams not on UW's schedule, home versus USC and at Utah. When you factor in that schedule, Oregon State ranks 27th in FPI efficiency based only on performance this season, three spots ahead of UW. Key difference for Oregon State, why they've been so good this, this season relative to their past years under Jonathan Smith is that even though the offense has actually slipped after ranking 13th last season, this is the best rated Oregon State defense in a decade, slightly ahead of the offense at 35th in FBI efficiency, which is good for third in the Pac-12 behind Washington State and Utah. Under alum Trent Bray, who's in his first year as defensive coordinator after replacing Tim Tibisar on an interim basis last November, the Beavs held USC to 17 points in a narrow loss and allowed more than 400 yards of offense just once at Fresno State in a thrilling 35-32 win. Uh, Utah also averaged more than six yards per play against them, but just didn't gain that many yards because they had a bunch of short fields in a game where Oregon State had four turnovers on offense. That makes this an interesting matchup against a UW team that hasn't had fewer than 410 yards of offense yet this season. Opponents are completing just 55% of their passes against the Beavers, which is easily the lowest mark in the Pac-12. There's 6.6 yards allowed per pass, ranks third, but uh, very close within a tenth of conference leader, UCLA. And that Oregon State defense has made up for an inconsistent offense. They've turned the ball over three-plus times in both of their losses, along with the opening win against Boise State, have just two turnovers their other five games. Quarterback Chance Nolan was responsible for the bulk of those, throwing eight picks in the first five games after just 10 in 13 games in 2021. After suffering a concussion during the Utah game, Nolan was replaced by inexperienced Ben Goldbranson, who has since led the team to three consecutive wins with just one interception in that span, averaging a solid 8.3 yards per attempt. Nolan returned to practice this week, but Smith said Monday if he had to make a decision then, Goldbranson would get the start against UW. 
Either way, the Beavers will lean heavily on a rushing game that ranks third in the Pac-12 with 195 yards per game and fourth with 4.9 yards per carry. Freshman running back Damian Martinez has emerged as a leader of the committee at that position with 289 yards the last two games, scored three touchdowns in a blowout of Colorado. And also got to keep an eye on linebacker slash wildcat quarterback Jack Coletto, who scored the winning touchdown in the final play at Fresno State and has a team high six TDs after scoring eight last season, including one in their win over UW in Corvallis. If you see Coletto in the game, they're almost certainly running. Since playing quarterback full-time in 2018 over the past four seasons, he has 74 carries and just two pass attempts. Uh, for the Huskies, some good news is Edifuan Yulofoshio participated in practice with pads on Monday. He's week-to-week, according to Kalen DeBoer, and may see limited action this Friday, uh, although more likely to see a significant role against Oregon. The leading 2020 tackler for the Huskies last played October 16, 2021, missing the rest of the season with an arm injury and was sidelined so far all of this season by a different undisclosed injury suffered during winter workouts. Wow. So this is a very different Oregon State team than we've seen. Yes. Almost ever. I mean, I think it harkens back to some of the Mike Riley teams that maybe didn't throw the ball that well and were really relying on uh, back then it was what? Uh, Ken Simonson. The fly sweeps. Well, that, that wasn't going back to Ken Simonton necessarily. Simonton. Steven Jackson. I was talking about like the Jaquiz Rogers era Oregon State teams. And those teams often had good defenses, but under Jonathan Smith, like he came in and he like, he fixed the offense right away, but it's taken some time to get the defense end of it dialed in. Seeing an Oregon State team with this caliber of defense is pretty interesting though. And it's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. Every week we've kind of had these matchups where it's like, this is another great offense against another great <laughs> offense, right? It's the Pac-12. I mean, that's we most of the Pac-12, like. yeah. Yes. So it, having It is kind of fascinating. The, like two of the three best defenses, like Utah, okay, defensive school. That makes yes. sense. Kyle Whittingham, that checks out. The other two top defenses in the Pac-12, according to FBI efficiency, are the two Northwest schools that are not Utah and Oregon. That have never played defense. <laughs> Right? I mean, not not. I mean, Wazoo had some good defenses off and on in the Leech era. They I, always I gave up a did. lot of points. But but they are schools where when you look at what they're able to recruit, you're usually thinking this is going to be a deep offensive school, uh, a lot of skill there, and it's been difficult for them to play defense. Right? I still think defense. I think it's harder to have a good defense in college than it is to have a good offense. So well, they've they've got to be equally difficult. Like they they can't. But I I understand what you're saying. That defense is probably more a function of recruiting because of the fact that having you know one good quarterback that you discover and fits your system, there's no equivalent to that on defense. You need five or six good players. Yes, maybe eleven. I'm excited about having a barometer here, though. Right? Like, yeah. And and I think that's this is something that we haven't really had all season. I mean, it's kind of funny thinking about, right, the dialogue that we've had about Michigan State over the years and just seeing the collapse that they've had, right? Yes. Like, th- there's a chance that Mel Tucker could even be on the hot seat after everything, just how quickly that turned around. But... Well, he has your endorsement because he went for those fourth downs. Uh, yeah. Does not have my endorsement right now. Um, I I just, I'm very fascinated to see this UW offense against a defense that ranks near the top of the Pac-12 and presumably one of the better defenses that they're going to face all season, right? I mean, they're not facing Utah, so 
they might not be facing Utah. I the, the odds of getting to the championship game are very low. They they need a lot of help. Let's say the Huskies are actually like it would be a different situation if it was the old model where they had the North Division and the South Division. Yeah, because then you would only like you could or you could win out and have Oregon State knock off Oregon in the Civil War, and boom, you're the North champion. But now that you have to be ahead of, you know, two of not only Oregon, but also two of UCLA, USC, and Utah, <laughs> it's a pretty pretty tall task. All right, fine, fine. Okay. I mean, it's not inconceivable, but Utah is probably the least, the most likely to get knocked out of those three. So you're probably not going to face them, even if you did make the championship game. <laughs> Anyway, I, I just, from everything we've seen so far this season, I will believe it when I see it that anybody can slow down this UW offense. You know, they, they're able to push the ball forward in so many different types of ways. I don't think that they're a one-dimensional offense in any capacity, and I don't think you could shut down one aspect. Obviously, the run game has not been as good as the passing game, but they've had some success running. They also have been able to pass in such a multiple different ways Right. They're able to get the ball to the receivers, to the running backs, to the tight ends. I, I just I think it is a very difficult offense to scheme for defensively. And until I see that somebody can slow them down, I won't believe that anybody can. Right. They've lost. I will accept that they've lost games, but they have almost completely been because of defensive failures or trap games in the desert. In some untimely turnovers. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting watching Oregon play Cal, and it seems like I, I watched that the early part of this, and it seems like the Oregon offense got in track. They did end up scoring 42 points in that, but it did not seem for a lot of this ex- as explosive as the Oregon offense usually is. And like, I think Cal's defensive game plan against UW and against Oregon, it just makes a lot of sense. Like you, you're not necessarily going to win the game because of it, but that's your best strategy against teams as efficient offensively as those are. Just slow them down. And UW didn't take the bait, you know, slow played it and scored, you know, well enough to, to ultimately win that game. I mean, to me, this is the most important game of the season for UW. Like, obviously you've got the Oregon game coming, but I don't think those, those are two teams on the same level. Oregon state and UW are, the two most similar teams in terms of team performance this season in the Pac-12. And this is going to determine which of them has a good chance of finishing fifth in the Pac-12 behind those four teams that are like legit contenders to make the championship game and which falls to sixth and, you know, or maybe to seventh. And, you know, you're in the mix then with Washington State at that point. And that could be a pretty significant difference in terms of like how good a bowl game you're going to. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And and how we view this first season for Kalen DeBoer. Obviously, it's taken Oregon State a handful of years to get here, but they've they've clearly built a team that is capable of being at this level for the first time in a long time. Uh, I, I just, if this game was in Oregon, I think I would feel a little bit differently about it. But here in Seattle, where we've seen the this UW team be pretty dominant against whomever they've played, they haven't f- played particularly stiff competition here, but I I just have not seen anything that makes me think. I, again, if it was the defense, if it was the defense I was getting pushed, I'd be a little bit more nervous about it. But if UW needs to score, I just I still I I can't imagine it not happening. Friday night under the lights, the excitement that's going to happen around that game. 
I just feel very, very good about this UW offense in the game. We'll see defensively. You know, it really is about just slowing Oregon State down, right? If they can hold Oregon State to 21 points, they should win this game. Uh, also, I think Caleb oh. DeBoer mentioned that he had the healthiest, the most players at practice that he's had his entire tenure at UW. They're getting a little bit healthier. The secondary is getting a little bit healthier. I think the defense should be better after the bye. And they've benefited from playing at home and the noise of that. Uh, so far, the three starts that uh, the that uh, Goldbranson has made have been at Stanford, home, home. So he has not faced uh, noise like he likely would Husky Stadium. No, I have an important question to ask you about the atmosphere for this game on Friday night. Though. Yes. Have you looked at the forecast? No. What What does it look like? It's an Oregon State game, so I know what it should look like. I I hearkened back. I went back in the archives and looked up the 2005 game against Oregon State that was played in the downpour and discovered something I had forgotten. So when the Pac-10 at that point was reorienting the schedules because they think they went from playing like eight conference, like it was something with the buys. The Huskies played at Oregon and home versus Oregon State three consecutive years from 2004 through 2006. Oregon State won all three of those games. Did they Husky really? Stadium. Oh my god, they were they were literally the worst games of our entire life. If you were like, what are the three worst games you've ever been to? You weren't at the 2004 game, I don't think. No, I wasn't at four. Yeah, but five you and six. Yet. Five was six, the downpour, and six was Isaiah Stanback when Stanback got injured, season-ending injury, yeah. and also a downpour. I don't. It, the, the, the Seattle Times news story did not mention anything about the weather in that one, but they mentioned a lot about the weather in 2005. It, it was terrible. Like, went home straight up and did laundry after. It was just like, it was put your clothes in the dryer. So, like, every day on the 10-day the outlook, there's rain. But you know when there's the most rain? It's Friday. Oh there is .9 inches. And guess when it's... Oh, I guess it's scheduled to peak a little before game time. You Maybe said the it same will thing up. about sun, the Seahawks game on Sunday, and it did not really rain during that game. It, it did hold off nicely on that one. So we'll see. There's still time for the forecast to evolve, but it is not looking great for oh sitting out in the uncovered <laughs> east end zone. <laughs> of course, because it's Oregon State. It just had to. <sighs> I mean, I, I associate miserable weather more with Stanford because I wasn't at that 2005 Oregon State oh, game. I just this, had to go. The Andrew Luck game against Stanford was some of the worst weather. Correct. You were in the fucking press box. I don't know what you're... I still tailgated. I was you're still like, oh, with the rain. I'm sipping on a hot chocolate watching other people get wet. Oh, I really associate bad weather with Stanford. I still had to watch the Huskies play football in the game. That's fine. I would gladly watch the Huskies play football from the press box and be like, wow, all those people out there sure look like they're getting wet. We left at like halftime and you're like, why ever would you leave so early? The Huskies were down <laughs> 41 to zero and it rained the entire fucking time. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was yelling at them. I barely how finished my appetizer. <laughs> I have no comeback for this. That was you. All true. There was also the other game where... Uh, the after like, stand back towel, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I imagine. The UW press box is first class. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It is not quite that nice. The hot chocolate was outstanding. And this was also pre, pre-renovations. You're still retroactively upset about that. It's just the hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Just drinking hot because you can get hot chocolate in the stadium. <laughs> but if it's pouring rain on you, drinking hot chocolate is not a fun experience. I remember well, last you, year I kept getting coffees. 
If you go up on the concourse, you could be dry while you were getting the hot chocolate. But yeah, you get it for like two seconds, and then you have to go back to your seat. This isn't the Mariners against the fucking Astros in the playoffs. I'm not going to be on the concourse the entire game. I'm going to have to watch this one. <laughs> get to watch this one. Oh, Lord. I just remember last year getting getting coffees in like the third quarter or whatever and being like this is it became lukewarm to like medium cold by like th- the time i got back to the seats uh, what what i remember from last year's rainy experiences was meeting talking taco time co-host randy at halftime of the arizona state game and just being completely miserable <laughs> Randy was great. No, yeah, it wasn't because of Randy. We were, we were in. I guess not in that moment because we were undercover in that moment. But the having to go back out for the second half was terrifying. We've been too lucky this year with weather. So, yes, we've only had to deal with an incredible degree of smoke. Uh, chances of victory for this one? I think it is a seventy seventy percent. I'm gonna stay oh, there. That is too optimistic. I'm going sixty percent on this one. All right, let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks. Hello. Coming off their 27-13 win over those 6-1 New York Giants. And when we're talking about the magnitude of the Seahawks' victory, the Giants' record is telling about how good they are. But it kind of isn't because we just we didn't leave that game and we were like, there's some games where you're like, damn, we just took down that team, right? Like the crowd, the crowd was feeling great after that game, right? But it wasn't a like oh, we just beat the Chiefs, right? We just beat right. the Patriots. It was like, oh, yeah, we beat a kind of shitty Giants team. It was like, like they, are, they are who we thought they were. Yeah, there was nobody in the building just being like, whoa, really took down those Giants. Danny Dimes still was walking through those doors, right? Like, there, there are differences. <laughs> and in and a key, key word there is walking because he wasn't doing a lot of running in this game. There we go. Fans know. Fans know what's up. You know when, what is an important win and what is not an important win. And every win's an important win. But this wasn't like, uh, I can't believe the Seahawks won that game. We went into the game. We expected to win. And then we won. That was it. But but here's the thing about the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know if you're, you've been a fan of them before. Uh-huh. Sometimes they have a tendency to play teams, even when the Giants aren't 6-1. and one. Sometimes the Giants come to Lumen Field and just beat them. Sometimes the Cardinals come to Lumen all the time. The Cardinals come to Lumen nope. Field nope. and beat them. But not this year. Somehow As, not this year. This is a different team. This team is built different than past Seahawks teams. You can't tell me that they're not. It is a different. Mean, they are indisputably built different. I, I agree with you on that assessment. This it, it is a radically different Seahawks team. And I guess two thoughts. Number one, being there on Sunday, it's October 30th. It's raining. You're playing the Giants. The game that I kept thinking of, right? We've had a lot of games against the Giants, but the one that I kept thinking of was right after Thanksgiving in 2005. The right? Jay Feely game. The Jay Feely game where he missed all those field goals. And I was like, this just feels like football, right? Being here at CenturyLink, Seahawks Stadium, Quest, Lumen Field, whatever you want to call it, right? And it's cloudy and it's rainy and you're playing the Giants. And it was like two fucking weeks ago. It was 80 degrees and it was beautiful. Now we are playing football. Now the football season has started. The Seahawks are good. They're grimy. They're playing defense. Bruce Irvin's out there again. Like it just, it really felt like it was almost hard not to have like nostalgia for the moment that you're in. Right. Cause it kind of felt like moments that we've been in in the past. And this just, it, Again, it feels like 
one of those early Russell Wilson seasons, one of those early Pete Carroll seasons where you just kind of have this inkling and you're like, I think the team might be good. And then a couple of weeks of it happening in a row and you're like, I think the team might be great. And then all of a sudden it's Sunday and you're sitting there and you're thinking in your head, Pete Carroll has coached a perfect season to this point. Like all things considered, taking everything into account, Pete Carroll has become like, if you, if neutral environment, if Pete Carroll, we had no baggage with him whatsoever. If he was a brand new coach, you would say that he's the best coach in the NFL right now. Bar none. If, if this was his first season as head coach, I mean, it still would be Andy Reid, but I, I understand what you're saying. I agree that the baggage is what made it difficult to accept in the past, but him going for multiple fourth downs, two fourth downs on one drive, succeeding on both of them. So he got some positive reinforcement for those decisions. The Seahawks scoring a touchdown. That was all extremely positive. I mean, I think the one question you would ask is like, if the defense was really this good all along, if you just unleash them or whatever the explanation was, like maybe you should have tried doing that earlier. Maybe you should have recognized that earlier. You have the personnel playing to figure it out though. But if you're talking about a perfect coaching season, I think a perfect coaching season would include that. But yeah, no, I mean... No, that that would be a perfect season, but from a coaching perspective, he recognized a weakness and changed it. It's easy to have the best players. It is easy to have the best players. But they're the same players, more or less. So, I again, I can't get with you. It's perfect. It's harder to to make a team better throughout the season than it is to just have the Pete Carroll is it coaching a better season right now than Nick Sirianni is. I, I don't agree with that assessment, but Pete Carroll right now is coaching the way that caused us to have almost unshakable faith in him from 2013 through 2000, at least 15. Have you seen the early down passing rates in seasons that don't involve Russell Wilson? Where they passed a lot in, with Tavares Jackson? They, basically, every single season that Russell Wilson has not been their starting quarterback, they've been like top five in the NFL in early down passing. It is a bonker stat, and it makes absolutely no sense when looking at it. There just is something about Russell Wilson. and P- It's like Pete Carroll's a totally different coach this year. You cannot tell me he's not. No, he's undoubtedly a different coach. Let Charlie Whitehurst cook. <laughs> right? I, I maybe you haven't seen this, but it was like top five early down passing this. under Matt Hasselbeck. I don't I don't know specifically about the Tavares Jackson season. Russell Wilson's entire career in Seattle happens, right? His his lauded career in Seattle happens, and they never pass the ball early. And then all of a sudden, they're passing the ball early in this game. They didn't get tight in it. The defense has played better, and Pete has continued to pass the ball on early downs, right? There just is something about Russell Wilson that really made Pete Carroll never want to pass on early downs. Let's use the correct phrase here. It broke his brain. There was something about Russell Wilson that broke his brain. It's really strange. And maybe it's broken Nathaniel Hackett's brain as well. I don't get it. I truly do not get it. Although the Broncos hurt the Seahawks first round and second round picks on Sunday with their come from behind win in London. Devastated. I I gotta be honest. I was really hoping for like Russell Wilson to lead them on that drive and then leave too much time and the defense lost the game. That would have been a pretty perfect outcome for me if it was not at all Russell Wilson's fault and they lost the game. It was close. It almost happened. But I I it was close up until they got a pick immediately. 
seeing that game and seeing the early down passing that they were doing, it was like, this is just what the Seahawks are, right? And again, the more that it happens, the more that it doesn't feel different. There are expectations on this team now, right? They're not just like out there having some fun, right? They they're went out and signed, flying under the radar. They signed Bruce Irvin, you know, like they're not just playing the young guys to be playing the young guys. Like they're, they're full on, they're doing the thing right now. And they're still passing on early downs. Pete Carroll has not gotten tight this year. And the young guys who are playing are playing well. I mean, obviously Tariq Woolen has for a long period of time, but I, I think as part of this defensive improvement, you're not concerned about Kobe Bryant is your nickel corner whatsoever anymore. Uh, Mike Jackson had a phenomenal game against the Giants. I thought opposite Woolen, uh, the, the tackles continue to be terrific. Ken Walker the third was bottled up most of this game, but had a very impressive touchdown run in the late stages to seal it. So again, a lot he to was like. So about. close. I maybe this is sort of like the the dangerous gambit of a running back like Ken Walker, but he had I don't know if you remember this play where he got like tackled by his ankles and there was daylight in front of him. Yo, I like, don't I remember that oh. play. This is but this is why Saquon Barkley people can't quit Saquon Barkley who had a I, season low fifty three yards. I just watched Sunday. that Giants offense. You remember last week we talked about it. It was just like, how are they doing this? What's going on? How? And there really wasn't an answer. And I watched that Giants offense and I was like, this team is fucking trash that just got lucky to win games. Like it's I they, they dropped to twenty second in DVOA with the loss. I, I was disappointed by Brian Dable in the game. Like that wasn't an offense. There was nothing going on there. It just like pounding Saquon over and over and over again you know they should have been passing the ball way 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 more in that game everybody was taking a victory lap on Saquon where does he rank in DVOA uh it was pretty mediocre coming into the game so I can't imagine it's even worse coming out of it just like pounding him into the line I'm like uh, I times wasn't perfect in the game obviously but I would much rather if I was a Giants fan see Dimes be passing the ball than just the repeated running and it's telegraphed running. That's what I told you. I was like, this is an offense that Pete Carroll was uniquely built to stop. <laughs> I don't know. Running quarterbacks have at times given the Seahawks problems. He's a 21st in DVOI, slightly below average. They, they also did, they did a great job game planning for Daniel Jones as well. Without question. I thought it was one of the games where I saw Jordan Brooks make an incredible play, right? Like I thought, Jordan Brooks played a very good game in that one. And there was a play where he closed in where it's like, Dimes is going to run it. And he didn't, you know, they're the speed that they have at linebacker really looked different in that game. And I, nobody has particularly run that well at Taysom Hill is the only one. I, there's still a part of me that's not going to be fully convinced on the Seahawks defense, which is up to 12th in DVOA after ranking 31st going into the first Cardinals. 12th, 12th. I mean, they basically have not given up a touchdown in how they did in the Chargers game, but the yeah. Cardinals game, they didn't really give up a defensive touchdown. Correct. And in this game, they didn't really give up. Like, they, they, got, they did not give up a defensive touchdown in the Cardinals game. They effectively didn't in this game where the only touchdown the Giants scored was when they were gifted the ball at the one yard line. Those are very impressive performances. There's a part of me that's not going to be convinced until they face a great quarterback. But the strange thing is, depending how you consider it, this particular version of Tom Brady, there's maybe only one good quarterback on the Seahawks' entire schedule Mahomes. left. Yeah, and that's not until Christmas Eve. So uh, we're probably going to, I mean, depending, again, depending on how you characterize this version of Russell Wilson, 
that might be the only good quarterback on this in, in Herbert with the rib injury. But like, how many good quarterbacks are in the NFL? That's, this year? that's a, a very fair question, but they certainly are not on the Seahawks opponents. That's for sure. Uh, anything else on the Seahawks or should we talk about the Cardinals a little bit? I just love how much has been given up in the NFC West for quarterbacks, right? The number one pick in the draft. You have the picks that the Niners traded both for Jimmy G and the money to Jimmy G and then the picks for Trey Lance. The picks for I mean, Matthew they Stafford. A, they gave up, what, a second round pick or a third round pick for Jimmy G? It wasn't that substantial. But then they investment. paid him immediately after. Yeah, they did, yes. Right? Like, But the amount that was given up for all these quarterbacks in the NFC West and for you to say that they do not have a good quarterback on the schedule well, aside from Pat Mahomes. Because they can't face Geno Smith other than in practice. It is incredible. I mean, we had a conversation where, after the where game. Where Drew Locke is nippy at his heels. Where, I mean, if he actually is, then I guess you franchise Geno and trade him. But like, we had a conversation after the game where I was like, I think the Seahawks might have to franchise Geno. And you were like, absolutely they do. The idea that we are in this moment through eight games of the 2022 season, <laughs> you said the absolutely the Seahawks would have to pay Geno Smith franchise quarterback money next season is it's incredible. And it's real. Like this is not smoke and mirrors. This isn't Tim Tebow or something. Those balls that Geno is dropping are fucking dimes, right? I mean, there's always going to be a certain degree of skeptic and you can apply this to the entire team when the expectations are as low as they are. Those are meaningful, even eight games into a season. But from a process standpoint, there's not really that much more that Geno Smith could be doing compared to what he is doing. I mean, he, his numbers were what they were Sunday, despite multiple drops, including from the normally reliable Tyler Lockett, who obviously redeemed himself by scoring the go-ahead touchdown. I, I also want to say, want to note, I, obviously the fumble that Tyler had at the two was brutal, but like he was wide open for touchdowns two times. No, it's good. Yes, from a process exactly. standpoint, very That's good. That's what I'm saying. Like we should probably and, just be And impressed. hasn't practiced the last two weeks at all. That, you know, it's unclear what kind of a factor that is, but. The drive uh, and, that they had. And we, the we haven't even mentioned DK coming back to play with, you know, a week after we feared he was out for the season. The So, the drive that they had to go down and they kick a field goal, right? I think that the Giants came back and kicked a field goal also. So they kick a field goal instead of the touchdown that Lockett drops. I think the Giants come back down and hit a field goal as well, so it's tied. The drive after that, the Seahawks do not run the ball. Pretty sure it's five plays. Four of the five, I think, were first downs. Boom, finish with the touchdown to Tyler Lockett. That was the best drive that we've had all season. 11-yard completion to DK, 6-yard completion to Goodwin, 12-yard completion to Lockett, 13-yard completion to DK, 33-yard touchdown to So all first downs. Lockett. No, the 6-yard the pass to okay. Goodwin was the only one. So you were correct. Four of the five were first downs or touchdowns. That drive, to have that drive, they did not run the ball, and they marched downfield and scored a touchdown. With those passes that Gino is throwing, I mean, there was another ball that Gino threw to again Lockett. We got a lot. Of, it's also funny that we were just like, ah, Gino doesn't have chemistry with Tyler Lockett or whatever. And just like, turns out everybody has chemistry with Tyler Lockett because he's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but there was a ball that Gino threw up in the end zone right in front of us where Lockett couldn't get the second foot down, right? Yep. But it just sails over the defender. It was an amazing catch by Lockett, yeah. too. But it was just like, there were so many plays where that it's just a perfect pass. Like, I don't think any of our concerns about Gino were that he couldn't throw the ball, right? It was maybe some turnovers and some decision-making stuff. But, like, 
if he's in this place where I mean, I he has... The, I, I think the touch was a question, because usually when people talk about the ability to throw the ball, they just mean throwing power, which is not that important, all things considered. It's, but Gino was more important. of a touch quarterback last year than he was a like, powerful quarterback. Sometimes you're, you see his balls I mean, and you're yeah, like, his, wow, that's arcing so much, and it just drops in perfectly. His CPOA was quite high last season, and it was unclear, like, is that just a function of the offense, since obviously Russell Wilson has been throughout his career? And how casually did we resign Gino this offseason? Not that casually. Remember, the, there had to be like the whole, I forget when it was, but there was the press conference. Maybe it was at in Indy. Had they already traded Russell? No, they hadn't traded Russell Wilson yet. But there was a one point where they're like, you know, he was basically negotiating the media with Gino being like, look, you got a chance to start here. And it turned out he, he did. Yeah. I don't know. It it is just, but but there are certain seasons where you look at it, and the Giants, right? Like, if you were the Giants, if we were Giants fans, if we were hosting a Giants podcast, we would have been smart enough to have known that the team wasn't necessarily actually as good as their record. We'd be excited. We'd just be like, let's just take it one week at a time and hope they get better. But you know what you have as that team. You feeling, know that you're throwing the ball to Wandell Robinson or whatever. Feeling feeling big blue. Feeling big blue. I don't know. There's something, something in there. I, I, I feel like it might be called the fabulous Pelton cast. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not like it's specific to the Seahawks. You don't share my well. I, just, I was. You said it was a giant specific podcast, not a New York sports podcast. All right, fair enough. We'll be back next week with coverage of uh, of uh, Gotham FC and the exciting news that Subert has brought in, bought into the team and Eli Manning. Giants legend Eli Manning. <laughs> there we go. Our Eli Manning. Giants fan legend Eli Manning and third Belton brother Subert. <laughs> anyway, uh, I I just it was I watched the game with glee the entire time. I got a little bit nervous during the game too. It was the first time that I've really watched at least a game at home where I really had expectations. Where when it was thirteen thirteen and ten ten in the second and third quarter, it was like. I'm going to be legitimately upset if the Seahawks lose this game. And we lost the Falcons game and I didn't care at all. So all of a sudden it's kind of like expectations have crept in, right? Oh, these, for sure. games, these games matter now. There, there are stakes on these games, but also well, the team is good. Well, this game matters on Sunday as they take on the Cardinals for the second time in a four-week span. Of course, this three-game winning streak began against the Cardinals, who managed just three offensive points in their 19-9 loss. In that game, Arizona lost Marquise Brown to a fractured bone in his foot that won't require surgery, but still put him on IR. Uh, they got DeAndre Hopkins back from PED suspension the next week. Also dealt for Robbie Anderson, who has yet to record a catch on four targets. But uh, DeAndre Hopkins, suffice it to say, has made significantly more impact. He has had back-to-back 100-yard outings in his first two games of the season, totaling 262 on 22 catches in just 27 targets for 9.7 yards per target. In his return, the Cardinals beat New Orleans 42-34 on Thursday night football four days after the Seahawks game. Then they lost last Sunday at Minnesota 34-26. Uh, those are two of Arizona's four highest scoring games this season in Kyler Murray's top two by yards per attempt. And yet... The Cardinals' DVO has barely been better in the last two games, both because the defense has struggled with back-to-back below-average games for the first time this season and because they ran for just 78 yards on 22 carries at Minnesota. 
defense has actually improved three spots in the Seahawks game. I assume due to opponent adjustments, they're still a tad below average at 19th after finishing sixth last year, 10th in 2020. So the, I, I expect this will be a much higher scoring game down in the desert than the last meeting. But uh, the Seahawks offense should be a part of that in addition to the Cardinals offense being more dangerous with DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup. I mean, that's what we expected from the first one, right? We expected a shootout from these two teams and got a pretty close game or a pretty yeah, low we, scoring We didn't game. know the Seahawks defense was suddenly going to be amazing. We didn't know Seahawks defense hashtag they fix. Flipped the switch. Uh, this one makes me a little nervous, I will say. Just playing them the two times in that many weeks have had quite a bit of success in the desert. So uh-huh. much success. But I think the return of DeAndre Hopkins, I, I think we will, have a, we will have a better sense. He's the best receiver that they've faced since all season, possibly. Debo Samuel, maybe. I mean, he's a better pure receiver than Debo Samuel, isn't he? So, I mean... I similar to how you're saying about quarterbacks like DeAndre Hopkins is probably by, you know, when you think back each week, right. Assuming Keenan Allen wasn't really out there in that chargers game. Yeah. I mean, kind of... and Mike Williams is pretty good, but they've faced a lot of teams with injuries at wide receiver or in Hopkins suspensions for a long period of time here for whatever when reason. Hollywood Brown got hurt during that game who might've even been the second best receiver that they saw for a full game. Right. I mean, dating back to Amon Ross St. Brown, not playing in the Detroit game. It really is. Yeah. Okay. A very odd stretch from that standpoint. And a bunch of backup kickers, right? Wasn't that a thing for a while? That wasn't the case last week. But So I, I'm a little bit nervous about what it's going to mean for the Seahawks defense, especially the secondary. But I love that they're going to have a challenge against somebody like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, and to really see, like, is this defense fixed? They scored, you said, 34 points the last two weeks. Is that right? Uh, they scored 34. They, they scored 26 last week and 42 the week before. Their opponents have scored precisely 34 each of the last two games. Okay. Uh, but they're definitely scoring since DeAndre Hopkins came back, and he's a difference yes. maker. Like, oh, and, which is not surprising. That's not surprising no. to anyone that's not below Brian. I mean, the, the Cardinals as an organization have been radically different since they got they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. And I, this, I, by the way, the Seahawks only lost, have lost once in, in Arizona, at Arizona, the past decade. I personally do not accept that loss to you. That being the 2020 overtime loss, which you're saying you do not accept to no, that. I, I forget which penalty. Ben, Benson Mayo was offsides, I think, on a field. Oh, goal. yeah. Uh, we won that game. Of course, there was also a tie in there. The Seahawks won against the San Francisco 49ers in Arizona oh, wow. as well that. during that stretch. Yes, when they were playing neutral site games due to uh, Santa Clara County's restrictions on the team. Uh, and so, therefore, nothing bad has ever happened to the Seahawks no. at State State Farm Stadium? That's that what they right. call it these days. I, I just think that DeAndre Hopkins is going to score. And to me, the reason that I feel a little bit more confident about it is I'm not convinced that they can do anything else beyond that. Will they put up points? Sure. I don't really see Kyler running. And there's always with the Cardinals, this, you saw it on Sunday, right? There was like Cliff Kingsbury was arguing with the people around him. There's the smallest chance of them <laughs> everything's having... Everything's going to descend into chaos. Everything is going to descend <laughs> into chaos. 
right? Like, I mean, I'm rooting for that scenario, obviously. There, there is a chance that I feel like the Arizona coaching staff and personnel and everything about them, the entire Arizona sideline is just hanging by a thread. Speaking as right. someone who made the Cardinals under a lock coming into this season, I am ready. My body is ready for it. I just, I feel like there's a window for chaos happening <laughs> in this game. Like if something turns sour. So uh, I hope that that happens. Like they still lost that Vikings game. Nobody was ending it with good vibes or whatever. Sure, or Hopkins was back and yes, they scored points, but they still lost. And so if the Seahawks are scoring against them, and they're moving the ball downfield, and it's field goals instead of touchdowns because of decisions that Cliff Kingsbury is making, right? You talked about how bad they were at running the ball. They shouldn't have been running the ball that many times. That's the issue, right? It's still a decision-making issue that was happening on Cliff Kingsbury, and he just hasn't fucking figured it out, right? I'm not counting so, on it this week. I That is, to me, the biggest advantage that the Seahawks have. Again, they lost that game in the desert. I do not accept that loss that they had. <laughs> And this defense isn't the Cardinals defense that we'd seen for so many years, right? So we should mention, by the way, we've we've talked all this shit about the Cardinals. I think it is we we had a debate in the uh, the group chat the other day who's better between the Giants and the Cardinals. And Dave, football outsiders metric, even with the higher preseason rating for the Cardinals, easily favors the Giants at this point. Really? Because the Cardinals have been so bad by DVOA this season. And yet we say all this. And also that the Cardinals were favored in Seattle and lost that game pretty badly. Cardinals favored by one and a half in this one. Down from an original line of Cardinals minus four. That was absurd, Cardinals minus four. Yes, it was. So a lot of money has come in on the Seahawks since then. Chances of victory? 65%. Wow, you really think Cardinals minus four, minus one and a half is a bad pick? I mean, uh, this is a wrong team favorite. This is a, like statistically, I, this is a Seahawks minus three game or something. Maybe a little bit less, two and a half. I mean, home field is a pretty substantial thing. I think it's more like Seahawks minus one, Seahawks minus a half. So I'm in the fifty-five, sixty range for chances of victory on this one. I'll go fifty-five to be conservative, but. I, I definitely think the Seahawks are the better team on a neutral field, without question. I can't wait to see it. And and also, to see how this defense plays. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, as a barometer, you can, you can explain all of the different, all the games, right? It was a bad scheme for the Giants. They're probably just not that good of an offense to begin with. Keenan Allen was out. Mike Williams got hurt during the game, or whatever. The Cardinals didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. It's like, you could you could explain it for different reasons. The more time that passes, you can't really explain it aside from maybe they just don't play against good offenses or whatever. But the like, DVOA should be adjusting for that. And they still got them told. I mean, the Giants averaged three and a half yards per play on Sunday. I'm three and a half yards per play. I think they, I think they schemed themselves into three and a half yards per play. <laughs> they did. I, I mean, I can't dispute it. I can't dispute it. And the Cardinals might do the same thing. So there's nothing that tells me that Brian Table is a worse coach scheme-wise than Cliff Kingsbury. So the Cardinals probably will pass the ball or will run the ball more than they should. They'll probably run it ineffectively more than they should and hope that DeAndre Hopkins bails them out on third down. Yep, which is going to be really fun to watch him against Tariq Woolen because that's the other aspect of not facing any of these healthy wide receivers is we haven't seen like the real test for Tariq Woolen. 
And maybe they'll get DeAndre Hopkins on the other side of the field. Who knows? But this is it. This is the test. Mike Jackson was balling too, though. No, I agree. I'm just saying, but I, I'm not, I'm not as curious of what Mike Jackson is going to do against DeAndre Hopkins. He's not. Mike Jackson is not like the Seahawks' corner for the next seven years. That's Terry Cohen. <laughs> so I want to see him. This grown-up football happening, and especially with Daryl Taylor not playing, right? The pass rush still looking good, finishing the game on two consecutive sacks. Uchenna like Uchenna I still wish they had signed him to a three-year deal. Like if you knew he was this good, just sign him for the third year. What? A, just add a little money. Whatever it's a it took. Year deal. Yeah. Uchenna Nuosu, uh, Boye Mafe getting a sack. Again, Daryl Taylor not playing. LJ Collier making a play, and then he just walked to the sideline. Right? It was just like it was straight up Costanza about, going out on top. How about Shelby Harris chasing down Daniel Whoa. Jones? Shelby Harris looks mean, right? Like seventeen it's, it's, plus miles an hour. That's how fast Shelby Harris was running. I, I saw that figure. I'm not a hundred percent certain that was. Watch out, Kyler. Yeah. I mean, I think next gen. I would probably guess that Dimes is a better runner statistically than Kyler is. He entering last week certainly was. I mean, Kyler has not by EPA, I think, been that great this season, as we talked about on the last podcast. So this this defense in general, I'm I'm excited to watch them play in the pass rush that they're getting. And then most importantly of anything, Bruce coming back and just having the big boy play. Right. When that yeah. happened, when when he tackled dimes into Saquon and made that tackle, it was just like this game, we got this. Keller is fifth in rush EPA. Daniel Jones, having dropped three spots based on his performance on Sunday against the Seahawks, is fourth. So, okay, yeah. I mean, in, going into the game, he was the second best runner. You said right? No, or he I was think first, he was number one, excluding wow. nobody. Who's number one now? Josh Allen. Oh, okay, Lamar. Lamar is third. Okay, Justin Fields is second. All right. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks. People seem to like the generic Puntoncast listener thing. We somehow picked up three followers today on on Twitter. I assume it's actually more from the me retweeting from the Puntoncast account my Halloween costume that was on K Pelton. Uh huh. I think is where we got those followers from. Like three followers. It's like a huge deal. Oh, that's. A monster day for us. We picked up. That's a that's followers. a that's a good month. <sighs> that's funny. We are we are not growing, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe on Twitter shrinking as people leave the platform. Yeah.